they're created by my mind. If I try to run my life based on how I feel, I'm usually screwed up pretty good because that isn't what I'm doing anyway. It's what I think that causes me problems. Grant me sanity here. Grant me proportion. How important is it? <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. Lack of proportion is easy for me to understand. I rarely ever get angry, but I go from Mr. Cool to killer rage just like that for really important reasons. <laughs> Fear is something that I'll pay a quarter for. I get on the roller coaster and get the adrenaline cooking. What I like is terror. That's got meaning. I can go from quiet to raw terror. That gets me out of bed so I can go to work. Okay, there's no proportion in it. If one works, take ten. That's really not very smart. But it's smart to me. That's how I think. No proportion. Okay. I'm lonely. Get two girls. Can't even handle one. I didn't have a car in high school. I had an image. I had a maroon 49 Mercury convertible with leopard skin seat covers. <laughs> I got that car because I knew it would two, put two blonde girls in the back seat, and it did the first day. That's who I was. And the girls broke the top the second day, and I didn't want the car anymore, and I just did what I do, let my dad take care of getting rid of it. Lack of proportion in the ability to think straight. So I pray, give me some sanity, some proportion. Okay. On a very practical level, this becomes an awareness deal for me. If I start using profanity, it's a guide for me. It tells me whether you feel it or not, chump, you're starting to get angry. Slow down, get some proportion. It's unnecessary. If I yell, I'm already out of control. Okay. God never yells at me. Why would I yell at you? And why would I ever yell at a child? Well, I do, damn it. And that's when it's time to back off. It's my guide. I'm automatically wrong. I can be absolutely right, and if I'm yelling at you, I'm automatically wrong. It just irritates me to know that. Okay. Proportion and the ability to think straight. I ask for that. What can I bring to this situation? Not a bad guide. And for strength to do the right thing. That's the basic A prayer. Now we've all gotten spiritual. We've all gotten wisdom. We know what's wrong. We know what's right. Oh, now what? I don't have it. I can't do it. What an order. I can't go through with it. Do the right thing? Grant me the strength to do the right thing. Basic prayer. Danny, you're new. You want to know how to pray? Just ask for guidance and direction and strength to do the right thing. That's where you start and that's where you end. After all this work, that's where we ended up, isn't it? <laughs> Not a bad guy. It works. Uh, 
if any problem is very troublesome, whether it be sex or work or money, if it's very, very troublesome, our answer is we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. That's the answer. Whatever the problem, we go help somebody else. It takes us out of ourselves. My problem is always self. We hope you're convinced that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you from it, and that's what we're talking about here. <coughs> so I got that done. The first two pieces of inventory. It was a shabby one, it was a short one, it was a little one. I didn't have much memory left, but it was this way. Uh, some of the inventory I carry, you'll notice it looks pretty much the same, and it spans a number of years. <coughs> Haven't changed it much. There's a couple times that I have to put in after the third column, why is this a threat to me, just to clarify things. I usually find it out afterwards. It's not important. It's just a little thing I do. But I finished this deal, and i got to tell you, I wasn't about to go back to my sponsor with it. Remember, he had told me that's garbage, get away from me. And I'm taking no chances. He's going to do it again. And uh, so I used the book as a guide. It says in there, there's a principle. It says, such parts of our story we tell to someone who will be unaffected. They're, they're talking specifically about a different deal, but there's a principle there. So I looked around for someone who would be unaffected by what I had to say, and I picked a fellow named Jim who had come into the program the same time I had. He was as new as I was. And there was another funny thing going on. It was a feeling I could not identify. I knew that somehow, by me telling Jim about the garbage of my life, his would become better. And he really needed to have something happen for him. Jim was the first one in Colorado to be doing time. He was doing three to five for vehicular homicide. He had done what every one of us in this room has been terrified we would do someday. In a drunken blackout, he killed some people with his car. He had no memory of it. He didn't know that as a truth, but he was doing time for it. I knew what I had done. I was there because I'd done what they said I'd done. And I belonged there. He was baffled. Because he didn't have any memory of it. And I knew somehow that this would make his life better. So I did my fifth step with Jim. And he never said, Oh, that's not that bad. He said very little that day. He listened to me. And when I'd run dry, he'd poke a little bit. And we stirred some stuff up that wasn't on the paper that we went ahead and got rid of. And I had an incredible experience that day. I stopped being alone. Up until that point, the only way I can describe it is that there was me and whoever I needed you to be. None of you were ever real. And somehow that afternoon with Jim, it became me and Jim in that room, and he was separate. He was himself. He wasn't who I needed him to be, he was just Jim. And somehow, I stopped being alone. <clears throat> I also recognized at the end of it, because I went back to my cell to do the little review, that I'd finally finished something. 
you know, I've been eating my whole life. I'm a, I've been a sprinter in the game of life, not a long-distance runner. Now I'm in for the game. I finally finished something. I, it was a shabby little thing, and I knew it. I knew I had a lifetime of work ahead, but I'd finished this. It was as done as could be done. Okay. So in my seven-step prayer, I added something to it because I knew I had a lifetime of work ahead. After I said the prayer, I asked God, please don't let the stuff I haven't found yet kill me before I get to it. I've got some fresh inventory here. I'm still getting to it. And it's no longer Attila the Hun. It's a little boy who wet his pants. The stuff I find today is so shabby, I just wonder how in the world can I be so petty? It's not world-shaking stuff, it's petty crap. But that's what'll kill me. I believe that the entire spiritual process hinges on these departure points, and there's one at the sixth step. <clears throat> the whole business from here forward hinges on one word in the sixth step. Objectionable. We ask God to remove from us those things we have found objectionable. It is in my nature as an alcoholic that if I had, let's just take any bad character trait I've got, you cannot threaten me with anything and get me to change. It's not going to happen. You can't offer me great rewards and get me to change. I'll change my behavior while you're watching, but I won't change. The only time I ever change is when I object to being what I am. I have to personally object to it. The instant I object to it, it changes. But until then, nothing will change it. So the inventory is a little hard on me. It shows me all the things I don't want to be. The inventory is not so I can find out who I am. It's so I can find out who I'm not, so we can get rid of that, and then who I am will show up. There'll be room for him. That's just kind of how I view the thing. Since I was little, until I got put off on it when I was little, my heart's desire has always been to be able to stand anywhere on the planet and tell whoever walked by how much I love my God. And I stopped doing that because they make fun of you when you do that. Um, today, that's what I do. That's who I am. I must tell you, if you get close to me, how much I love my God. I don't care whether you believe me or even want to do it or not. It doesn't matter. I just get to do that. What a wonderful thing. And I belong to an organization that not only lets me do that, encourages me to do that. Will pay my airfare to come and do that. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I love it. Uh. So I uh, finished that deal with Jim. And I entered into my evangelistic stage about then. Around the sixth or seventh step, if you're not eager to go save the world, I worry that we, we've missed something. That's the experience. That's what happens. Because at this point, God is alive and well if you've done this. <laughs> and I really wanted to make amends and straighten the past up, and they wouldn't let me out. <laughs> Mm, 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 mm. 
So my personal experience may be a little different than some. My experience was that I did not get free at the ninth step, making amends. I got free at the eighth step, getting willing to make amends. My sponsor gave me an exercise. There's all kinds of principles in the big book about how to handle each situation. There's only one real principle there. If I've harmed you, I owe you. And I must do something about it. No slack. For all the words, that's really what it comes down to. If I harmed you, I owe you, and I must do something about it. I must be careful about doing something about it so I don't harm you all over again. But I must do something about it. So, uh, Bruce says, look, we know what you, who, who you harmed. We've got this list of people. He says, we know what you did to them, but you are so insensitive you have no idea what it did to them. So how are you going to figure out what you should do to straighten it up? You don't even know what you did to them. He said, I want you to go back to your cell tonight and take this list of people and separately write them down then anybody else you can think of, because you met him, you messed with him. Uh, I don't believe I owed the whole world amends, but he, that was a correct attitude. <clears throat> he said, I want you to close your eyes and picture each one right in front of you, and see if you can feel a willingness to look each one right in the eye, and say to them, I have been wrong and I've harmed you. Would you please tell me what I have to do so we can get these books to balance? And as I went over the list that night, I felt as if I had been lifted from my chair. No weights were lifted from me. I was lifted and set free. Because I really, to this day, if I've caused you any harm at all, you tell me what I have to do and we'll get it square. <coughs> and it set me free. Oh, pretty soon I got to start wandering the tears talking to the guys who couldn't get out of their cells. But I was free in here. That doesn't mean everything was wonderful. I had a guy who went to the main sponsor school. <clears throat> he said, I, I know you're anxious to get out because I was anxious. Thank God for that 12-step study school because I had some place to let the energy off. <laughs> He uh, said, look, some of these things can be dealt with by mail, and some you'll just have to live with till you can get to them, and some of them you're just going to have to live with. Jack Brennan put words on that for me. My garbage doesn't stink anymore. Doesn't mean I don't still have some garbage, but God took the stink off. <laughs> so this vicious human being that I was being sponsored by had me go back to my cell and make a list of who I could write a letter to and who I would have to wait and see. And then he reviewed my lists and changed it. <laughs> it seems his view were that some of the people that I thought I should go see I could probably take care of with a letter. And some of them I was eager to write, I probably needed to go look them right in the eye. <laughs> And we began that wonderful process. I had, on Christmas Day, we didn't have any money, as I've already told you. <clears throat> and I, I went down to the drugstore where I'd been passing script. 
and uh, got a dollar and a half worth of Christmas tree lights on credit. I had to write this guy a letter, tell him who I was, where I was, why I was there, and that I had ripped him off for a dollar and a half on those Christmas tree lights. I made twenty-five, or I made ten cents a day. That was my wages, and out of that I had to buy all my toiletries. We worked out a budget. Would he accept a quarter a month from me until that was paid off? That's really hard on a big-time gangster's ego. <laughs> quarter a month. He said, yes, he would. I've been taught to pray before each man. The big book says that while I'm trying to put my life in order, that is not an end in itself. My real purpose in making amends and getting straight with the world, my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God knows about me. And one of the ways I do that, I'm free already before I come to you. Okay? So that can't be the purpose of me coming to you to get free. I'm already free. I'm there because I owe you. Nothing more. And over the years, my experience has told me that in doing that, somehow I make it possible for you to get free, too. That's the service I'm going to provide. And so I got thinking about that. Did you ever sit around and listen to people talking about the one who isn't there? Because <laughs> they don't like him anymore. If only Joe could admit he was wrong, I could forget it. I don't know how many times I've listened and heard that. If only he would admit they were wrong, I could be free. And that's what it says I'm supposed to do. Go say, I was wrong. It's hard for an alcoholic. The word doesn't fit well in their mouth. I mean, I can say, I am contrite. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. My sponsor said I was never allowed to say that. He says, you've been sorry your whole life. <laughs> Okay, you get to say, I was wrong, and I harmed you. And here's what I think I can do to help straighten it out. But what do you think? Okay, I must leave it open for that. You know what that does? It made it possible for me to make amends to my mother. Because what you do after you ask the question, what do I have to do? You shut up and listen while I tell you. It was a great concern to me because I was fully aware that I had put my mother, who's a very loving person, in a position to say on Christmas Day, you and your children cannot come to my house anymore. How do you make up for that? Nothing that I could ever think of would square that deal. So I just laid willing and ready, as soon as I know how, I'll square that. And the only person I can go to is her, and she wouldn't see me. It was months later. <clears throat> That's what I mean by you get to live with some of this shit. Months later I went <clears throat> to see her after I got out. She was really reluctant. <laughs> I don't blame her. Chamberlain set me free of that. I single-handedly destroyed everything worthwhile in my life and I have no right to expect anyone to ever talk to me again, much less forgive me for anything. If they say pissed at me forever, that's correct. They should. So I don't go to impress anybody. 
I just went to find out what I could do. And I found an easy way to ask her. You don't just come right out and say, well, I was wrong, Ma. What do I have to do? <laughs> I don't get it. <clears throat> I eased into it, and then I shut up and listened. And she said to me, honey, all I've ever wanted for you was that you be happy. And I had my answer. My action in making amends to my mother has been for the, since that time to this day. I go by her house on a regular basis, happy. It works. She told me it was six years before she really believed I was going to amount to anything. But that was fine. I wasn't expecting her to ever believe in me again. I gave her what she wanted. She got to see me happy. Yeah. That's the deal. I wish it were more dramatic. It isn't. We took her to dinner last Sunday. She's just having a ball. She moved in with my sister. Dad died in March. And they've been living in that 48-room house, and it just got too much for her. So she's out with my sister, and she showed us her little room and how cozy she is, and it's really pretty neat. That's what this is about, repairing those relationships. It says we commenced this way of life as we cleaned up the past. I'm a believer in getting your amends done. Don't waste any time. But I don't believe you can ever get them all done. Some of them take some time to get cleared up. You can address it and begin to do it, but they may not be done. I don't want to have to wait. It was 22 years before my brother and I made peace. If I wouldn't have moved forward with my spiritual life for that 22 years, I wouldn't have been there. Uh, it took a long time for my kids. I damaged my children. I taught my children to be invisible because we ran the streets and it was necessary to be invisible. What a thing that is to do to a child is to teach a child to be invisible. That's a very harmful deal. How do you undo that? I don't know. I created a place where they could become visible, if that's what they wanted to do. Uh, James has told me how long I have. There's that much tape left, he's going to hold a finger up. Remember that little pair of cowboy boots and the shirt I got on credit? I got arrested the next day and never paid for them. And I knew I had to go back and pay for those. Uh, when I got out of prison, I got hired by this little company, Dixon Paper Company. Uh, they wouldn't hire me directly. They put me on as a daily labor pool worker, eventually hired me. Have I already told you the story of how I got the truck driving job? Wonderful stuff. <laughs> They didn't hire ex-cons at Dixon, which didn't bother me because I'm not an ex-con. I'm a man and I've been to prison, and there really is a difference. I don't want to be an ex-con. I have all kinds of problems. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> they took me from the boxcar into uh, the dock, and I was working on the dock. And I've been taught to be completely straight. When they finally had me put in an application, I put down all my job experience including drug smuggler. <laughs> well, that was one of the jobs I had. <laughs> okay. 
uh, check writer, document forger. You know, they want to know, what can you do? Well, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> and I'm working on the doc, and the dispatcher called me in one day, and he's got my application and a really funny look on his face. <laughs> I said, did you really do that? And I said, yeah, I really did. He said, well, I've been thinking. We got this little truck that delivers paper to the print shops in downtown Denver. It's a tough route. And it seems to me the kind of skills that it takes <laughs> to move marijuana into this country the way you did is about the same kind of skills I need for this truck driver. You seem to know how to get stuff from here to there <laughs> in difficult circumstances. <laughs> I got me a truck driving job because of my past. In God's hands, everything works out to the best. Okay? Now, the only drawback to that little job is that I never knew what time I was going to get off. All the other guys did. Part of my truck's job was to take the packages of paper that were going to be shipped by bus to the bus stations at the end of the day and drop them off to be shipped. Well, all the paper companies did. So there's a line of trucks out there. I never knew for sure. And I was a little irritated by that, a little low-grade irritation. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there in line one day waiting and two prison guards come in with Jim uh, when they let him out they didn't want him in Colorado anymore they were sending him back to Florida we got five minutes This is the guy I did my fist step with. We got close. I got out before he did. We got to see each other. He's okay, and I'm okay, and we haven't met since. But in God's hands, it all comes together. If it hadn't been for that stupid little job, I'd have missed it. Okay. That's how it works for me. I just get in line and wait my turn when it comes out. Okay. Uh, amends to my dad. They're very important to me. <clears throat> and I went to him with my list because it was a big one. I really screwed over that poor man. But I've been taught how we do it here. And I open the door gently if I'm going to make amends to you. First. We just kind of get some general stuff, and then if you want to get more detail, it's there. And I said, Pop, you know, I've lied to you, and I've stolen from you, and I've cheated you. And he saw the list I had, and he said, Please stop. All you can do by telling me the dirty details again is hurt me all over again. You and I are going to have to start from here. Well, that was so important. At one time, my father and grandfather were the Grand Quago and the second in command of the Colorado Ku Klux Klan. They had some really funky attitudes. I never understood it, but that's who they were. If that's the image I'd have kept of my father all these years, wouldn't that have been a shame? Because he had a spiritual awakening. 
And he and I on a particular day got to start from here, not from back here. We started from here and we built a brand new relationship. From that day forward. I'd have missed him if I'd have kept him in those robes. <laughs> and he'd have missed me. And we had some fun, my dad and I. I owed him some money. He said, well, I'd start from here. And I said, I, I still I owe you some money. He said, I know you do. But I don't care. Just call it square. I said, I can't do that, Pop. He said, all right. A little exasperated with me. He said, I don't want to be involved in your bookkeeping system at all. Said, don't tell me how much you owe me. Don't tell me nothing. Just whenever you feel like it, come by and give me some money. And when you think it's done, it's done. So I did that and had the experience of being of service through my making of amends. Uh, they were both on old age pensions and my mother's mother died and she got an inheritance and my mother is straight arrow and she went and told the state and they cut both pensions off. And mom discovered a new dimension. <laughs> now she had all the money. <laughs> and she started nickel and diamond him. <laughs> she, I love her dearly, but that was kind of mean. <laughs> but every now and then I'd come by with a $20 bill. And in squaring up the past, I became his pocket money. Okay, I was able to serve both of them. I uh, finally got a nice job. I've had, my financial amends have always been nickel and dime. I want to save up the whole hundred and give it to you all at once. It's never going to happen. Don't <coughs> pretend it's going to happen. It won't happen that way. I finally got a job where I had a coat and tie. looked pretty good. It was impressive. I was the job developer for an agency that got jobs and housing and stuff for guys coming out of prison. Rather impressive. And they called me up to the desk one morning, and here's this bum. Unshaven, smelly bum. Unfortunately, I recognized him. He was a former landlord of mine from Overland Park, Kansas, whom I had skipped on. And he was there inquiring if perhaps I might have some money to pay him the $80 or so that I owed him. And he was doing it rather loudly in front of all these people who were at that point impressed with me. <laughs> so I gave him what I had, I don't know, five, ten, whatever the hell I had, I gave it to him and I and immediately calculated out of my next paycheck, I don't want this happening anymore. And I asked him for his address so I could get him the rest of the money so I don't have one. So, kind of regularly for a little while, this bum would come in and I have to go up in front of all these people and give him the money I owed him. And it turned for me as I began to be aware that the days he came in he was hungry because he didn't have a job or a place to live or nothing. And my money fed him that day. So by putting in God's hands, it benefited everybody. It reduced my ego, and it gave the people that I was working with an opportunity to see Alcoholics Anonymous in action. We do things like this. We became more credible because of that. Okay? I miss him. 
apparently he wasn't impressed with me because as soon as the debt was paid in full, I haven't seen him since. He did not want an ongoing, renewed relationship. <laughs> Came by Dad's one time and he said, look, do me a favor, will you? Old Mac up at the Texaco station where I get my gas, every time I go in, he says, when's Don going to come in and give me the money he owes me? And I didn't even remember I'd owed him any money. It had been several years. It was a blank spot for me. He said, will you please go square that up? I'm tired of listening to it. <clears throat> I only had $5 in my pocket. So I went up to Mac. I owed Mac 75 it turns out. <laughs> Drove into Mac's place and uh, went into my spiel. Mac made a mess out of my life. He says, you sure as hell did. When do I get my money? <laughs> I said, well, all I've got is five dollars. He said, I'll take it. And wrote me out a receipt. I said, Mac, I'd like to set up a payment schedule. He said, don't give me that crap. You've never kept your word in your life. Said, We're not setting up any payment schedule. You just come when you can and give me some money. That's all I owed Mac. That's all he wanted from me. And that one got paid. It was hard every time I go in. I never had enough, but it was just fine. I kept it going. He got to see Alcoholics Anonymous in action. I don't know what it did to him, don't care. He got to see it in action, and I got to see it in action. That's what this is about. I got square with him, and I got square with my dad. What we do affects everybody around us. And so I have to listen. Do you know why dad asked me that? Somewhere along the way, he came to trust me. He came to trust the fact that I would take care of it. Or he couldn't have asked me to do that. That's pretty subtle stuff, but that's the way it works. My little brother was a case in point. It was 22 years before he would really even have much to do with me. And I'm clear as to why. I was his hero growing up. I was his big brother. He watched me destroy all the dreams that people like us have. He watched me hurt the family. I betrayed this boy. He became a world famous musician and I became an inmate in the penitentiary. And a bum. <clears throat> so it was a while. Because of the program, I believe they get to pick the time and the place. I just have to stay willing. And eventually, well, I was 22 years sober. They finally had us over for dinner, he and his girlfriend. And after the dinner, he said to me, I'm not sure you and I can ever be friends, but this was pleasant. We can do this again. And we began to develop something. Well, because I go by the folks regularly, we had a, a fun thing happen with Roy. Uh, when I was in North Carolina, I still went home once in a while, and whenever I'm home, I go by the folks' place. And I was visiting with the folks, and my leg was crossed like this, and my brother came in and sat down, and all of a sudden, I don't know where he kicked me on the bottom of the foot. He says, you know, I'm really glad to see you. And he was surprised as hell, because he was really glad to see me. It surprised him. He said, look, next time you're in town, why don't you and I just go up to the cabin and do a little fishing? We've got a little cabin up in the hills. Uh, I say we, it's my brother's cabin. We made a little contribution to it. It's his cabin. <clears throat> so on the next trip in, of course, we went up there. 
and scared a few brook trout and I went back to the cabin and talked and played cribbage because that's what it was about, we talked. <clears throat> Give me a great gift that day. In the midst of our conversation, he said, Don, I want you to know something. He said, I'm 58 years old right now and I think I've been able to make a decent contribution to life. That's pretty good stuff. We are healed. Because of that, my brother and I had the opportunity to detox my mother off of morphine. She had gotten some shingles and they gave her morphine for the pain and it upset her stomach so they gave her some stomach medicine and the combination. She began having visitors that we didn't. <laughs> uh, I had a conversation with her one day and she told me as soon as Don gets back in town we'll discuss this further. <laughs> She took some trips to Pennsylvania and never left that chair. Couldn't eat. She was starving. It was a bad scene. Guess who they called in? I wonder why they would call me. <laughs> <laughs> and he and I spent three, maybe four days shifting around, getting her off of that morphine. That's a nice thing to be able to do together. Yeah. Uh, I could go on and on and on because this is about being square. A man means to change, not to apologize. It means to change. One of the ways that I make amends to people that I have been ignoring is to pay attention to them. The way I make amends to someone that I've been lying to is to begin to not lie to them. If I've been cheating you, I stop that. <clears throat> and one of the ways I cheated people the most was I cheated them out of their time. God willing, I will not cheat you out of time anymore. Yeah. I will be on time. I'm hard to live with sometimes because I'm on time. Yeah, I have a really full, rich life. And on time to me, there's if 10 o'clock is the time we negotiated, five minutes before or five minutes after is acceptable. Nothing else. At five before, I stop all other activity, I'm ready for you. At five after, I start my next activity. It's already too late. Okay. This is the end of side one. Please turn cassette over now and continue to listen on side two. Do not and I do that because that's how I will be with you. I will never be too early for you, nor will I be too late for you. I'll be where I'm supposed to be. It's the only time it can happen. It's not a moralistic or a judgmental thing. It's a spiritual life. It's the only way it can happen. Uh, I honor your time. You're busy. You have things to do. And if I'm one of the things you're going to do today, I just assumed we were both on time because I got things to do too. And we can get on about doing them. We'll be richer for being together. But I mentioned to you messengers and angels. We all have them. Look for them. Learn to recognize your messengers. It's really important. Everybody is a messenger in one sense or another. But not everybody has is my messenger. Six years sober, I thought that uh, Paul Solom was one of my messengers. He was the flying saucer prophet. 
fundamentalist Mormon flying saucer prophet. And I thought he was my messenger, so I followed him to Arizona and for four months went completely loony and had the greatest time of my whole life. <laughs> he was not one of my messengers. <laughs> okay. Tom Ivester's one of my messengers. Okay. And he has characteristics that I look for. And if I describe him to you, I'm describing me to you. These are the characteristics of the people I listen to. They are busy. Not busy, busy. They tend to be almost visionaries. They, they have a mission that they're on. It's important. What they do is important. It's not frivolous. And they're moving from here to there doing that. Even though he has a home base and I have a home base, that's really important. We have home group, we have home, we have family, we have that base. But we're busy. Always wanting to stop and have a cup of coffee. But you have to understand, I'm essentially on my way to Australia. Okay. Did you ever see that film? James Garner supports your local sheriff. He takes on the job of sheriff after explaining to them that he's a gold prospector. He's essentially on his way to Australia because he knows there's gold down there. He'll do the job until the urge hits him and he's gone. And as long as they understand that, he'll take the job. Well, that's hit me in my heart because that's me. I'll just keep saying yes, but you have to understand, I'm essentially on my way to Australia. So please listen. Jack Brennan was one of my messengers. Jack said something so important one day, I want to share it with you. Please listen to everything I have to say because I will never be by this way again. And it confused me because I knew I was going to see him the next week. And then I got thinking about it and he told me the absolute truth. I will never be by this way again. Nor will you. We will all be different next time. So let's pay close attention to each other because we'll never be by this way again. And it's not as important as it sounds because if we miss it, we've got something else. But this is it. We talk loosely about one day at a time. This is it. <laughs> okay. And how fun that can be. The 10 step process in here is very simple and it just says to continue doing what you've been doing. And when selfishness and self-centeredness and dishonesty and fear crop up, they will. When they do, here's what you do about them. Keep writing this inventory. There's something you forgot. Begin to work with others as people work with you. And all that means is not the imparting of information, it's time. I have done my very best this weekend to demonstrate to you at a level beyond your own understanding that I love you. Okay? 
I've only given you one thing of any importance whatsoever this weekend. Me. And my time. I gave you my time. Yeah. That's what it's about. Not information. I always have to chuckle at these things when I come down here and I'm asked to come and talk about the big book. Read the damn thing. You didn't hear me talk about it. Read it. And then we'll share it with each other. That I will do. You gave me a very precious gift this weekend. Your time. Your attention. That's what God gives me. God gives me time and attention. And it's important for me to give God some time and attention, too. So I have all kinds of routines. I don't even like to tell people about my routines because they change according to my consciousness. There was a time when I could enter into the meditative state with a little incense and the tinkling of a bell. I had a little temple bell that came to me from India and I could go, tinkling, oh, it took me there. <laughs> Today that's a distraction. Uh, ceremonially, I follow the red road. I'm a pipe carrier in the Lakota tradition. And that's nice. But if I can't meet with God without that, then I'm in trouble. Okay. And there's some mornings I don't want to do that either. The ritual isn't what it's about. It's just God and I spending a little time together in whatever way we can. And it's up to me to create circumstances where that can happen. We in America are really, really fortunate because of the hang-ups of this country. They provide us a meditation room wherever we go. There is a place, wherever you are, that you can go and be by yourself for a few minutes under any circumstances at all. Try it out here in the hall. Okay. But I must, I must have a certain amount of solitude. The spiritual life requires a certain amount of solitude, and the world won't give you that. They really won't. You have to create it for yourself. So I have a place that I put together for myself wherever I go. I have a place in here that I have prepared in, within myself. And I prepared it by keeping my house clean, by continuing the inventory, by working with others, by thinking of others' needs, and by looking for that, I don't quite know how to put it, an entryway. Let me give you an image because it helped me when I needed images. And I still use it. This centering is getting to that quiet place within. This old Assembly of God preacher came by one day, and we were singing. I, I love to sing. And he started singing in the garden. I come to the garden alone when the dew is still on the roses. Stop it. <clears throat> and the voice I hear whispering in my ear. The Son of God discloses, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me on His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And it was a burst for me. There's the image I can use. Within me is a garden, and I can go there 
when the dew is still on the roses. That means first thing in the morning. Okay. And what is my relationship with God? It's defined. He walks with me and He talks with me. And the voice I hear whispering in my ear never yells at me. It's a very quiet voice. But the most important thing I've learned from not only the song but the experience of that is the word Terry. It means essentially to hang out with. Not to do anything with, just to hang out, tarry, linger a while. So I began going into the garden and just hanging out. And my garden is very specific. Got a big apple tree with a wooden circle around it to sit on. <clears throat> Grass. And there's a brick wall out here. And there's a little old man puttering in the flower gardens down over here. I'm not going to say that's God, but good cat. <laughs> and uh, and we hang out and if I want to visit he'll visit and if I don't he just putters and I can sit there in the garden and be still and I used to carry all my problems into the garden with me and show them to him see what they've done to me today look at all this and we'd get answers and come out and then I learned to leave the problems outside the garden and just go in and hang out and when I left the garden about half the time, I forgot I brought any problems with me and just left them there. And had the strength to do with others. Uh, got to be a habit. I was on an airplane one time, <clears throat> musing about this. And I heard the voice. Don, become the garden. Oh. What an interesting idea. I knew I'd been doing that. That's what the 11th step is all about. But I had shifted a little bit. I was trying to be the garden, not become the garden. Life's about becoming all the time. It's not static. It's about becoming. Become the garden. Well, the garden has uh, opened up a little bit. She and Jackie and I got to go uh, to Winter Park a while back. Lovely little weekend. And outside our window was a trout stream. And I was so impressed with it, next time into the garden, I moved the wall back and put a trout stream in it. <laughs> got to find out if that little rascal can jump the water or if I'm going to have to build a bridge for him. I don't know. <laughs> Another time I was in the garden and I heard the voice said, Don, look over here. And I moved from the, the brick wall, which is, makes it cozy, and there was no wall here. There was an empty space filled with stars and just an eternity of stuff out there. And a sense that we have forever to examine all of this anytime you want. And then back to the garden. I know it sounds childish, but these are the kinds of things that have allowed me to get into that state. Don't use that image much anymore. There's that sense of that. <clears throat> I have found for me there are two different states of meditation. One is actually prayerful contemplation, not meditation. One thought at a time. Contemplative prayer is an important deal. But I also find there's times when instead of one thought at a time, there's very precious moments when I don't think at all. It's completely quiet. 
but very hard to come by. There's a sense there that I, I'm unable to explain to you at all. It is my hope that that's where I'm going to leave this planet from. If that all works out, somebody's going to find the Hulk, do with it as you wish, and I'm through with it. But in that state, just try it sometime. Quite often, that's where I hear the voice. And I'm not schizophrenic. It's never, Don, lead these people to the promised land. <laughs> it's always, Don, here's one you missed. <laughs> you thought you were a jerk yesterday? <laughs> Look at this one. <laughs> okay. But he tarries there with me. And I tarry there with God. That's the application of this. I'm to carry this into all of my affairs. Last week was an extremely stressful week at work. And after months of stress, I don't care how fit you are, you get to where you want to snap somebody's head off. I work in a business where literally the phone had three lines going, there were three people in my office, and there was a crisis boiling, and I had a report to write, and all this is all going on at the same time, and I'm trying to feel it, which normally I love. On this day, I'd had enough. And as soon as I got the office clear, I pulled in, and the thought that came to me that all I had to do today was just bring the Spirit of God into the building. Where I am, He is. I don't have to feel all this. Just bring it in. That carried me through that day, just that thought. All you have to do is just walk down the hall as if the Spirit of God were with you. Uh, I had to write some inventory to get to there. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? Isn't that awful? That poor thing. <laughs> we have a thing we call sponsorship. It's defined by everybody in a different way. Very important. The whole idea came originally from just service club sponsorship which means Bill belongs to the moose, and if I want to belong, he has to say, he's okay with me. And the moose say, well, bring him around for a few times and we'll look him over. But you're responsible for him, Bill. You gotta sign off on him. That's where it came from. Summer AA groups, the one in St. Louis particularly, that's what you had to do. You couldn't come until you, somebody brought you and sponsored you. And uh, they had to be at every meeting with you, and you had to be at every meeting. And if you missed a meeting, you had to go to the crash committee while they decided whether you were going to be allowed to come back or not, whether you meant business or not. And if you got one drunk, one freebie, and then that was it. It was over. And if you didn't come to a meeting, you and your sponsor had to come. You had to come with a note from your doctor declaring that he thought you were alcoholic. It has changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But has it really changed? I ask you to look around. In some places, it has gone back to that. If you don't have a sponsor, you don't belong here. That's the implication. <coughs> Who's your sponsor? Let's see. Let me look at my scalp belt and see who it is this week. <laughs> 
Sponsorship is defined in the big book only once. In fact, the big book doesn't tell you how to find a sponsor. It teaches you how to be one. In only one place is it defined to show others precisely how we have recovered. That's what a sponsor does where I come from. I will show you precisely what I've done to recover. You may or not, may not want to hang out with me after that. A lot of the people I sponsor, I sponsor through the steps. We have the experience and they go their way. And we meet along the road somewhere and I think that's as it should be for me. Others need the mentor relationship from a sponsor. Some people need that. I don't quarrel with that. I'm not a good mentor because about the time you need me, I'm in Slidell, Louisiana. <laughs> okay. Anybody in Denver who needs me today is in trouble. Okay. If that's the relationship. Well, it isn't for me. It just isn't. I have no quarrel with it. Some people need that. We need to be sure. I make peace with all the different so-called factions in AA. Because if I run into some guy who really needs mentoring, needs to be part of a group where there's a hierarchy, and you call every day, and all that, I know who to send him to. I don't have any problem with that. I can send him right over there. And will, in a flash. And when they get somebody who's too sick for that, they call me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to practice these principles in all of my affairs. And what are the principles? Honesty, self-examination, tolerance, kindliness, love, the sharing of time, they're endless. In all my affairs, you gotta have some, you gotta get back into life. <clears throat> we had a meeting in our backyard once a month, or once a year. A bunch of folks come, we have a big potluck, and then have a meeting out on the lawn. And after one of those meetings, the neighbor kid next door, the next day caught me and said, you seem to know something about alcoholism. <laughs> He'd been listening to fence. It seems he had some friends who were in trouble. I've been talking to his dad, I knew he was in trouble. <laughs> okay. Had it not been for that little affair we were having, he'd have never been able to talk to me. He was growing marijuana in my backyard for a while. <laughs> well, that's natural. He's not going to grow in his backyard. Uh, he's never been sure what happened to it. I, I didn't mention it. It's just another weed to me. He got pulled up and, and trashed like all the other weeds. We had a big black lab. And he asked me one day, if I came over that fence, would that dog bite me? He's wanting to check on his stuff. And I said, no, I don't think he'd bite you. Like what he'd do is probably eat you and bury your bones under the apple tree. <laughs> and he quit coming across the fence. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> stories. To carry this message to alcoholics, what message am I carrying to alcoholics? It's not the words, it's not the meetings. How do I carry the message? Am I a visible demonstration of the power of God 
that can transform people like me into useful citizens. Can you see that? That's what I have to carry. I've talked for almost six hours and, I, and they're taping it because none of us have memories long enough to remember anything I said. Okay. I don't remember what the hell I said. How are you going to remember? But God willing, you will understand that this weekend, where I am, God is. And I let him demonstrate through me what he can do, which is simply, we created a little unity, we created a little arena, all of us together, where we joined in brotherly and harmonious action this weekend. Isn't that what it's about? We enjoyed each other. We tarried for a while in this little garden. Now we have a job to do. This weekend is absolutely meaningless unless each of us goes from here back out into the world and find somebody else that we can say, you don't have to do this anymore, you know. I can show you how to change your life. That's what it's about. Is it not? Yeah. yeah. I am more than what I was when I came here. I've given you everything I have. It's not definitive. I hope you understand that. We missed a lot. You big book technicians know we missed a lot. Okay? Because I know you're big book technicians and you don't need... You'll go back and find it. <laughs> okay? I brought you a great gift this weekend. I brought the legend with me. You finally got to meet Jackie. She's sane. <laughs> she really is. It's just a joy to hang out with her. She's sane. There's proportion. She can think straight. She's very patient. Well, most of the time. <laughs> Let me tell you how sane she is. When we first got together, she had these two little girls and I had these two barbarians, teenage <laughs> barbarians, <laughs> and things got a little tense. And uh, I remember one time the girls just got all over me, and so I went upstairs and pouted. I'd been hurt. And I laid and waited, and I knew that shortly she was going to come up and tell me that it was going to be all right. She had straightened them out. I could come back down now. <laughs> About two hours later, I realized I'm going to starve to death up here. <laughs> Ain't nobody coming. If I want to pout, go pout. When you're done, come back down. That's sane. <laughs> So I learned from her how to carry that into my sponsorship. Chuck called me one night from a bar. I'm sitting here with an open beer in front of me, and I plan to drink it. I said, well, wouldn't stop you for the world, Chuck. Remember we made a deal. You reserved that right. I think it's stupid, but go ahead. And by the way, this is a shitty way to treat a friend. To call me and tell me you're going to kill yourself, and I hung up on him. 
and he came over to my house shortly after that. He hadn't drunk that beer. He went to he came to my house and we talked. She doesn't know it, but I learned some of how to do that from her. Yeah. When I was seven, when my son was 17 years old, I had to put him on the street one night. It was 20 below zero and it was in a blizzard. And I had to put him on the street. Hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But based on these principles, I have to practice these principles in all of my affairs and the unity of our home is more important than any individual in it and that includes me and he was destroying our home he was doing things that were completely disrupting our home and he had been told the day before if you do these anymore you'll have to leave you can't live here and do this and the next day he did it again and I had to pray for the strength to do the right thing and I put him out and he hated me for a long time. Uh, God was kind and didn't let me know until later. There's times he slept in the snow. But he came back to me later and he said, uh, I hated you for a while, but I want to thank you today. I had to get it done. And part of why I put him out is because in talking with her and in praying, and I became aware of something. I was killing my own son with my version of love. I kept rescuing him. In the middle of his life lessons, I was rescuing him. And if you cut somebody off in the middle, they don't get to start in the middle and finish. They have to go all the way back to the beginning and start over again. And that's not love. In my hands, he was surely dead. In God's hands, he had maybe one chance in a thousand. At least he had a chance. Well, I learned that from you guys in sponsorship. If you want to drink, go. I don't care. In fact, there's a place in the book where it suggests that if you're not convinced by this time, go do a little controlled drinking. And one of them asked me one time, will you sit there with me while I do that? <laughs> you're out of your mind. <laughs> I'll buy the first one, and I'm going home. <laughs> So I don't have any answers, but I do have a solution. I don't have any rules I live by, but I have principles. And the main principle is, is this going to hurt anybody? That's the main one. If it is, I probably ought not to do it. It's going to cause harm. <clears throat> is it going to get me what I want? I don't know, because I don't want for much anymore. I'm so caught up trying to get rid of the gifts that have been given to me, I don't have time to want for much anything. My house is crowded with stuff and things, my head is crowded with stuff and things, my heart is crowded with stuff and things, and that's the great gift you gave to me. Since I was struck by the power of God and God entered into my life, I have to find some place every single day where I can tell somebody about that or it'll curdle on me. Thank you for letting me come and, and tell you about it so it doesn't curdle on me. I had to die because I was useless. And you gave me a great gift and my brother gave me the words to tell you about that gift. 
I'm 63, creeping up on 64. And because of you, I've been able to make a contribution to life. <coughs> I think it's time to go home. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs>